there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... <laughs> Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Sitting across from me is Greg Smith. We are recording this podcast. Uh, I'm not going to say early because it's like almost noon, but it's Friday. I tried to put it off a little bit because we have stuff that is potentially happening around the time that this podcast gets posted. But we are here. We braved the elements. Greg almost died in a snowy train wreck on the way here to the office. So I appreciate you powering through and driving up here. How are you? I am very well. There were actually a couple incidents out there. Um, I ran over something and was dragging it out with my car. <laughs> like it was. A, I'm here. I'm happy. I am happy that I'm here. Well, I am happy <laughs> that you are also here. Um, I, I, I have a story before we get started. Okay. That has nothing to do with football. Okay. So you know how... When you do something for the first time and you make a mistake, you're like, oh, I wish I would have known not to do that. Yeah. Right? But then, like, the saving grace that you tell yourself is, oh, well, now I know for the next time. Yes. Right? You ever tell yourself that? When yes, you make absolutely. Yeah. Now I know for the next time. That is not something you can say when you're planning a wedding. Oh. <laughs> No, no, it's not. I hope whatever this is, it's not too bad. <laughs> we, uh, we ordered our invites, okay. and we ordered an equal number of RSV, RSVP cards to be inserted with the invites. Yep. Um, that is not something we should have done. The GOAT did not want to send RSVP cards to every single person that was getting an invite because we also have a website that you can RSVP through. Uh, okay. So... Like, if people are technologically savvy enough, they would just go to the website. And then that would save <laughs> a us. a nice way to know that you think that, that we're That would save savvy. us the cost of, one, buying an RSVP card because they were not cheap. Yeah, two, buying sure. the envelope for the RSVP card because also they were also not cheap. Yep. And three, buying postage mm-hmm. to have pre-postage on the cards for people to send back because that is also not cheap. Right. We're talking for, like, 155 cards. We bought 155 invites and 155 RSVP cards. We did not need to do that. No. <laughs> no. But I didn't know that. So how, Some of these things you can't know because you've never done it before. That is true, and experience is the best teacher. And I made the mistake of saying, well, now we know for next time. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And she, and, and she looked at me like, next time? There's no next time, bro. Like, <laughs> what is this? Okay. So, oh, boy. Derek. Wow. So, so got, what type of flowers a, did you I got myself pick in a pickle. up after this? I got myself in a pickle. Yeah, you're definitely in a pickle. The flowers have not been purchased yet. Okay. Uh, she actually asked me to take her to Panera this morning on my way here to the office, and I was like, why would I do that? We have an office at home. So, I'm on thin ice right now. Okay, heading into the weekend, you're in trouble. <laughs> like, let's just, you're on shaky ground right now. And I'm going to have steak at the Remington dinner. 
Saturday night, and she's not coming with me, and she feels some type of way about that. So if I die this weekend okay. and I'm not here next week to host the podcast, you and Jacob can. We got this. If resume. you get bumped into the snow, then <laughs> <laughs> we will know why. Okay. So, oh, um, wow. Yeah. So can I, a quick question on this, though. How did you figure out that you should have not ordered that many RSVP so cards? So she apparently had it in her mind that we were not going to send RSVP cards to everyone, that we were only going to do select. But when we ordered the damn cards, she didn't tell me that. Uh, so she, she so was thinking ahead. So it's partially her fault for not communicating. I mean, I'm not going to say that. No, you shouldn't. You're already have, in enough trouble. I don't have the trouble. clout to say that No, right you now. don't. No. Uh, but, yeah, like she was thinking ahead. I was not. And we got ourselves into a situation. And um, her sister actually has the invites and is working on addressing them for us. She's got, like, this machine that's putting stickers on us that we don't have. Sweet. I offered to handwrite the invites. And why? as you give me that look of, why would <laughs> why you do, would that? do that? I have good handwriting. Oh, really? So I offered I... to do it. And that was also not the correct move. <laughs> no. Now I know for next time. <laughs> yeah, now, for next time. So, when you renew your vows, that's so, what you. Right. That's how you spin that. So her sister has yeah. them, and she is... Um, getting them all addressed and sent out and everything. And she texts me and she's like, so who from your family needs an RSVP card? And I was like, uh, everyone? She said, oh, that's just going to double the cost of postage. It's like, well, yeah, that's why we got them. I mean, I assumed that we were going to have this expense for postage. Oh, and she's like, oh, well, Alex told me to just send select people RSVP cards. And I was like, well, she didn't tell me that. And so we had to have a conversation. And then that's when the, well, now I know for next time things slipped out and, uh, that's where we are. Oh man, we're two, we're two <laughs> months out. Very cringy. We're two um, months out. Two, yeah, you are. It's, it, every time I like, you guys are on my fridge. So whenever I walk past the fridge and I see you guys in the date, I'm like, man, we're getting close. We are getting close. Mm-hmm. Invite should be coming. So I'll get an RSVP card. It, you will get an RSVP card, <laughs> and I'll laugh when I get it. It man. will be sealed with my dried blood. Yes, it will be. So yes, um, Nebraska football. <laughs> We've got stuff that we have to get to, but first, I want to ask you about the national championship game. Okay. Um, did you have any Nebraska-related thoughts while watching LSU and Clemson kind of duke it out and LSU just really put the hammer down? Yeah. Yes, I did, actually. Um, because I did, like, and then I assume I'm not unique in this. Like, people that cover this team or, like, our fans of Nebraska watch these games, especially the title games, and, like, say, oh, can I picture Nebraska being this? Or what does Nebraska need to do to become that? Or, like, how close are they to that? All of that, right? Um, and the thing, though, that I kept thinking, like, because the, the LSU wide receiver core and their passing attack was, like, the talk of the game. And Joe Burrow was on fire as usual. Um, and so I'm trying to picture in my mind, like, Nebraska's wide receiver core next season and how far away they are from what LSU had. And this was not as like a, I wasn't trying to torture myself and I wasn't trying to like be mean about it because I actually I honestly thought that I don't know if they're I don't want to say they're close to that. And so, because people will be like, oh my god Greg thinks that they're LSU's receivers. Not what I'm saying. But the grouping of Wandale Robinson, J.D. Spielman, and Omar Manning with Xavier Betts, if Betts and Manning are what we think they're going to be and what I really think that both of them can be, even in year one uh, in the program, like, that's a really, really good group. It's a good starting point. Yeah, it really is. But the whole thing comes back to whether or not you get Adrian Martinez that the coaching staff thinks he is or can be or Adrian Martinez that we saw last season. 
right? Like that's what it ought to me. That's what because there's the difference between what LSU was doing um, and with Joe Burrow and what Adrian Martinez was last year. And of course, there's a connection there, which I don't want to go through um, because we were kind of talking off pod before this about just some of the little things that LSU does within did within their passing game. They flexed their running back out so that they can see what type of defense uh, Clemson is in. And this is Clemson we're talking about, not some shoddy defense. There were a lot of first rounders and future NFLers on that team. And then when Joe Burrow then sees what type of defense they're in, processes the information quickly, then gets the ball to the best matchup. Like you have to be able to do that. And that's the key component in making all of that work. The thing that I was thinking about, um, you need confidence in the pieces around those two guys. So first you need development. You, your wide receivers need to be developed. So that yeah. needs to be the guy that is coaching the wide receivers that needs to be doing that. Yeah. Um, the second thing is you need an offensive line that's going to protect and allow you to do all of the things that you want to do. It's going to allow you to go with just a five-man protection. It's yep. going to allow you to not have to, to keep tight ends and running backs in on pass protection. Nebraska had to go two tight end sets a ton to have max protection just so Which they can get the playoff. Which is not something they want to do. You, no, it's not <laughs> no. something you need to do. No. Um, it's not something successful offenses do. So if they can get the offensive line playing at a higher level, then I mean you can start to envision a scenario where Nebraska's wide receivers look like they're on the road to that. Because yeah. like, like in my column last Monday – I wrote like that. That trio of Omar Manning, J.D. Spielman, and and Wando Robinson has the potential to be really, really special mm-hmm. because Omar and J.D. fit so well together. Yeah, and then you have Wando kind of doing what Wando wants to do. The other piece of it, LSU's kicker hit a 50, 52 yarder in that game, career long. Mm-hmm. Edo had had no reservations about putting him out there to attempt that field goal. Nebraska needs that from yeah. the special teams. Like Scott Frost needs that security or whoever's calling plays that security. To, to be able to say, okay, we can do this and this on second and third down because we know we're not going to have to go for it on fourth down. If you know you have to go for it on fourth down from like the thirty yard line, that influences your second down call as well. Depending on like if you get if you throw an incomplete pass on first down, you face second and ten, but you know you have to go for it on fourth down, like you you suddenly get a little bit more conservative in your play calling. Right. LSU didn't have that problem. They could just go balls to the wall the entire time because they know, hey, if we go three straight incompletions, like we've got a kicker that can make a 50-yarder. And, and they had so much just confidence in their offense because they had been doing that to teams all year long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so playing with that level of confidence is also extremely beneficial just in general even before you get to the kicking game part. But I'm glad we're kind of on the same page there about Definitely. the potential of that wide receiver group is there. <laughs> but I also think that I, I like your point about the offensive line because I do think that it, it starts there, even though in that game when you watched it, um, Clemson was able to get pressure, but they were always just a step slow and in getting to Joe Burrow and him getting the ball. They were Their offensive line was just good enough um, to give him enough protection. And part of that, too, is just Joe Burrow. Like, they were doing a yeah. thing. I think, they, I think it was a halftime. They were talking about, hit, like, snap to release of the ball, mm. and it was you, you're looking at, like, two or three seconds each time, and he's he's – Getting it and getting it out. Fast. Yeah, it's so. NFL level processing. Why he's going to be the number one pick? Mm-hmm. Like it, it really is. Like that ends up being the difference, especially when you have when you have you can get the ball out of your hands that quickly and accurately, and have the types of matchups that they had. Which is still to me one of the most amazing things about that is the quote unquote matchup favorable matchup we're talking about is against probably a future first round guy. Like what I can't. He's number eight. Um, 
Terrell, Terrell. AJ Terrell. Terrell. Like, that guy might be a first rounder, and he was getting destroyed all game long by Jamar Chase's sophomore. By the way, ridiculous. Um, it, it's pretty amazing what they were doing. You know who was fun to watch in that game? Isaiah Simmons. That dude was everywhere to begin. Yes. He was all over the field. He was. Speaking of Husker ties. It was fun. It was fun, <laughs> fun to watch him play really well. Um, you know that when he was quick side note about Isaiah Simmons, and I found out this week, is that when Nebraska recruited him and thought they had him on the hook uh, to commit here, he, he was not sold on playing defense. He wanted to play wide receiver. What? Yeah. And that so then when Clemson came in, because they had a guy leave early for the NFL, and they were originally going to play him at safety. And then he decided to go to Clemson, and then he was going to go play safety, and then he kept growing, and then he ended up being the linebacker that he is now. And that's how he became, like, the prototype. Like, if you built a linebacker in a lab in 2020, it would be Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. But, yeah, Keith Williams recruited him as a wide receiver. Be that big-bodied wide receiver. He <laughs> could have been that big-bodied wide receiver. Uh, what did you think of the Odell Beckham stuff after the game? I, I, the slapping the butt of the police officer was stupid. First of all, the police officer being in that locker room acting like he was going to arrest all the players was stupid. It's Weird. college. Let them have fun. Yeah. That was uh, dumb. Yeah. I, I don't I don't so much care about Odell slapping his butt. That was also stupid. Don't hit a police officer. Like, have some common sense. What did you think of the him handing out cash on the sideline? Yeah. What did you think of the reaction to it, the outrage to it, and then LSU coming out immediately and saying, oh, it was fake cash. And they'd be like, yeah, it's actually not fake cash. Yeah, and then Joe Burrow being the one that kind of dry snitched on the situation um, that should affect his draft stock. Oh, I'm kidding, Joe. So, like, <laughs> we got so um, it was all ridiculous. Um, I think that Odell Beckham has to learn that while these things are not actually big deals, they're big deals because he does them. And Thank some you. people just don't get that, and he is clearly one of those people. Like, and so it's, it's annoying that that be, it all became such a big story. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be a big story because it's him. So, but, but all of it is so stupid. <laughs> I posed this question to my brother after the fact. Uh, OBJ hands out what hundred dollar bills on the sideline to LSU players, some of whom are no longer technically Division One athletes and about to go to the draft. Yeah. LeBron James hands out $300 headphones to Ohio State players. Is the only difference between those two events that LeBron James is publicly liked and Odo Beckham Jr. is not? In my head, there is no difference between those two situations. One of them is just more liquid cash than the other. Because the kids could still turn around and sell the headphones. They're brand new. They could turn around and sell them unused and get $200. Yeah. $150. It's the same thing. And LeBron's a booster of the university. How are they any different? Is the difference that he quote unquote donated the headphones to the team? Like if you were to give shoes? Like is that I mean I I don't know. Like and and because I'm trying to think of the mental gymnastics that people do for this stuff, but I don't think that there's a real difference. I just just think that there is a like a natural recoil that a lot of college football fans, a lot of sports fans have when they see players getting handed cash in public, even though you know that it's going on all over the place behind closed doors. Like and I don't like that's I think that that's the only thing, is that you saw it. And so it would be different if there was just a whisper about it happening and it wasn't on camera. But it doesn't seem like anything he did that night was not on camera because you see the stuff where he's, like, directing the band 
and all of this, like when he's trying to run over Carl Malone on the sidelines. Like there's all sorts of footage, um, which by the way makes me think that Odell was not just drunk um, during this whole festivities. Like, he had some extra stuff going on there. But I think the difference is just that it was in public and that people saw it. And it just looks bad. People have that reaction. Because if, like, I don't know, like, if Sue were to donate shoes to Nebraska... Or like Ty Lue, basketball would be a better case than this. Can Ty Lue donate shoes to the Nebraska basketball team? No one's going to say anything. It's but if he walks up and hands Jervay Green 200 bucks cash, not a check, then it's going to be viewed differently. Let's talk about the Nebraska news of the week. So Jovan DeWitt left to take a job at North Carolina. Did that happen this week? No. I was going to say, okay, I was, man, this is the longest week ever. <laughs> and, and that opened up. An outside linebacker coaching position, and also Nebraska needed somebody to come run their special teams because DeWitt was double-dipping in both. Nebraska hired Mike Dawson back from the New York Giants just to coach outside linebackers. No word as of recording this, as of us talking right now. No word about what will happen with special teams. We'll get to special teams in a second. Dawson... Was here. He was making four seventy five, I think, four fifty, something like that. Four hundred fifty thousand, something in that range. Yes. Yeah. Um, before he left, then last offseason, he took a job to go coach outside linebackers for the Giants. He's coming back, and he's making three seventy five, so a little bit less. But he has a chance to make it back on the back end of his contract. He has like um, twenty twenty one, he gets five hundred thousand. Twenty twenty two, he gets five hundred fifty thousand, and he gets a re- hundred thousand retention bonus if he's still at the school on the final day of his contract, um, which I would assume if he's getting that, he's also getting extended, so whatever. Um, He's just going to coach outside linebackers. What do you think of the move? What do you think of Dawson coming back? Um, I like the move um, in the way that you – but it's tough, though. I like Mike Dawson. It was weird. When he left, I felt like we were just starting to kind of get to know him just in a personal – like, and getting more, like, information from him, like, publicly. I mean, like, in the scrums, like, he was talking more. Um, And so it's great that he's coming back. I like the continuity to bring someone back in that's familiar with the the staff and familiar with guys on the team. And so I think that the more that we know about what's been happening in Nebraska football, even previous to this regime and all the revolving door of coaches, like ha- I think that there there's a value in having that continuity, right? And not having such drastic change all the time um, for your players. What we don't know, and why I hesitate a little bit, is that I don't know how. Like, it sounds bad, but bluntly how good of a coach he is because he just wasn't here long enough. I know that the defensive linemen liked him, um, and I know he was at least good enough of a coach to go coach in the NFL at outside linebackers. And I don't know – I know that he was liked on the recruiting trail, and I know that he has good connections in the Northeast, um, but we didn't get to see that truly come to fruition because he was only here for a year, right? Um, So I'm more curious to see how all of that goes, but I don't – necessarily have a reason to think it would go bad. Who from the D-line room that he recruited does he try to steal and convert to an outside linebacker? <laughs> um, well, it can't be Ty Robinson because they spent the last year like adding weight <laughs> to him. He's like 315 pounds. You trying um, to take Casey or Tate? Tate would be interesting um, just because it hasn't been – like he's going to have a tougher road at DN just because of his injuries and like where guys have been able to make moves there. Mosai um, Newsom maybe? Maybe. Did he recruit him? Did, did, did he, he? Was I that in that class? No, that was in the 2019 class. What, so Masai was Masai in the same. He was in the started. same class as Ty, right? Yeah. 
So then he would have had contact. I don't know why I'm arguing with the guy who does this for a living. <laughs> That's fine. I'm, you got me questioning I, I myself. You were you were gospel. so strong. You were so strong in what you said that I was, it threw me off. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's going to be – I would be curious. You did not ask this, but I would be curious to see if he can steal an inside linebacker to come to his room. There's a lot of inside linebackers. They when do. you start to list that out, like there really are a lot of them. <laughs> like, it, yeah, because it was interesting. I was going through because I, I, my column that I referenced before it was 25 things that I'm looking forward to this offseason. Which, by the way, it wasn't hard to come up with 25. Good. Which was like, eh, that means good things. Um, but I was I was talking about the inside linebackers. And I was like, I don't think it's a given that Will Honus starts. Okay. And I looked at um, Keyshawn Green or Nick Henrich and completely forgot that Va. <laughs> yeah. Va existed. Yeah. He does. <laughs> that is but a, then you a gross also, oversight. But then you also, if you really start, like, Luke Reimer exists, Garrett Snodgrass. Um, Forgot about Garrett, too. I just blanked on one of the names, Caden McCormick, who's already been in the program. Like, guys that. Joey Johnson. Joey Johnson, guys that saw the field, right? Like, all four of those guys, right? He saw the field in some capacity. Then you have um, the transfer, Zach Schlager, right? Like, he's going to factor in in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's. Was that five guys that we named in addition to Honus and Miller and Henrich? So, Miller, Honus, Henrich. Jackson Hanna. Oh, we forgot him. Falling off the face of the earth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Keyshawn Green, Va, Schlager, Joey Johnson, and Luke Reimer, who both traveled last yeah. year yeah. over guys like Henry and Jackson yeah. Hanna. They yeah. traveled to like it's huge, and saw the field. Yeah. Um, nine, just off the top of my head. So at least now somebody Snodgrass I, makes ten. Snodgrass. Someone's going to have to move to outside linebacker. Like, it's just going to have to happen. Um, and the, the, especially considering of all of those guys and of all of the recruits that they brought in, um, I feel like, and I want to say that Keyshawn Green gets overlooked um, because people know that he's good. But I think that every time you look up, like whether it was that All-Star game or other things, like he's a guy that people keep telling you to look out for um, as someone who could make an impact. And I think Va plays in some capacity right away. One thing that I do find interesting is that Nebraska now has two guys on its defensive coaching staff who have experience and can coach both defensive line and outside linebacker. Is there any chance that you get, like, crossover with the two groups between Tony Tuioti and Mike Dawson? Like, what what do you think their kind of working relationship is going to be when it comes to guys on the field or, or – like defensive schemes that they have. Yeah, I think they're ha- they have to kind of work in concert. And one of the things, and I went back and looked this up, when, like Tony Tuioti, when he was first hired, mentioned how defensive ends and outside linebackers, I think the phrase is playing a string together um, and have to be able to communicate based on the different fronts. Mike Dawson mentioned a very similar thing. Um, it was that Thursday night when he was on the Husker Radio Network? Um, so I think they're going to have to work together in that, and I think that's a good thing, and I think it's actually a, a kind of a sneaky, fun situation that they both have experience coaching the positions because you should then get better continuity, and they should be able to be, get better on the same page, especially when it comes to stopping the run, right? Um, and having kind of that uh, more of a singular voice on how they want to attack that. I think that should that should only help. And they still need somebody to run their special teams. So it sounds like a kind of senior analyst, special teams analyst is going to be the role that they go with that so that they can kind of work around the mandated or restricted 10 assistant pool that they can have. Mm-hmm. 
if, if I, I'm not going to throw out any names, but what do you think of just that idea and concept of Nebraska special teams being hot garbage for the last two years? And it's like just surface level, it seems like there's a little bit of devaluing going on or deprioritizing going on with that. They're focusing a little bit more on the offensive side of things than they are on special teams, which needs to get better. But then again, they could bring in somebody that, you know, he, he's an analyst, but he's spending all of his energy and efforts on special teams. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this idea and concept of going that route? I'm going to be honest. When I first, I always am, when I first kind of thinking through that, I kind of hated it because of what you said, the special teams have been terrible. And it's and it's something that Nebraska has is often on been good at like they'll have like over the years that I've been kind of covering the team they'll have good maybe good kickers and punters but a non-existent return game like or have you know a decent return game but not have very good kickers. so like it's all it's just been weird and we know what happened last year and it cost them games so coming off of that to then on the surface say we'll have a senior analyst quote-unquote run this it does seem a little weird now it's not so weird if your senior analyst is fairly highly paid for an analyst and you get someone who has a really good reputation for being a good special teams coach because that person can spend all of their time doing that job versus also coaching outside linebackers, which frankly is more important if you're going down a hierarchy of lists like, and you're thinking about dividing your time, you would want a guy spending his time on outside linebackers. So... So I kind of get it, um, but it all—it's—it's it's all going to depend on who comes in to do that job. But at the same time, I do like the move because it's kind of a big boy move, and it's something that, to me, because it's something that I've always wanted Nebraska to do, which is flex their financial muscles. Nebraska is not bound by being something like a poor cash-strapped program. You have the money to go do and spend whatever it is that you want to build up this analyst group. And it's been interesting watching kind of the like kind of pre-fan reaction to even adding more analysts to the team because like Jim Harbaugh and Nick Saban and like Ryan Day now, Wazer Meyer, who started it there at Ohio State, like those kind of guys like have all of the this army of analysts, right? Like it's a thing that all like big time schools have or schools with uh, with deep pockets. So if Nebraska wants to go that route, do it. But don't. But as long as you're not just turning it over to some dude, but it's someone that's got some some chops to him. Some dude. What are the? Are, are there like restrictions on the number of those guys that you can have on a staff? So there are like, not. Uh, rest- what can you pay? So that's the the whole weird thing of it about the pay. The pay thing, I'm not sure, um, and I figure, assume we're going to find out more if when they go down that road. Um, but the restrictions are more so about what that person can actually do on field. Because technically, your 10 assistants are the only on-field coaches that you have. And I'm sure we'll all have to kind of brush up on what the exact letter of the law is on that. Because then as a senior special teams analyst or whatever, you can't be an on-field coach. And we'll have to kind of figure out what exactly that means. Because does that mean that... At practice, if I'm if I'm e. Greg Smith, I'm the new um, senior special teams analyst at Nebraska. Congratulations to me. Can I only go out there and set up the cones and have Barrett Pickering and Matt Waldock and Chase Contreras and those guys like go out there and do what I've previously set up? But I can't be out there once practice starts. 
where can I watch that from? Like, do I have to just watch the film later and analyze it? And then, like, how does that all work? That's that why you have me, your graduate assistant. That is true because then that is, but that is partially true. You, my graduate assistant, are allowed to then go down and disseminate the information and tell them what needs to happen in all of that. But so that, that whole thing is a little. Then that also runs the risk of of just kind of running back what you did last year, because with with Dewitt being um, kind of going through cancer treatment and chemotherapy and things like that and being somewhat limited in the spring ball, like those responsibilities were turned over to a graduate assistant. Mm-hmm. And we saw what happened. But you also, this is also where it will actually be important, excuse me, who the graduate assistant is for the new senior special teams analyst. That person has to be someone that the new guy knows and trusts, right? <laughs> like, it had to be like, it's not going to just be, like, in, in theory, you're not going to hold over the, the guy that was a previous um, graduate assistant because you don't know him, and I need to be able to know that we're working in concert um, with all of this as well. Yeah. So do you, but do you like the, the what's well, not even a potential, like that's going to happen, like, because there is no way to add a guy. So yeah, it's I mean, going to have to be the an job is posted Yeah, and the, jo- the, the job is posted on the website. So yeah. they're going to have that, that relatively that, soon. So The same, the title that someone that has been linked to the job owns at his current job yeah. is the exact title that is listed on their, like, job listing on their yeah. employment website. So, like, that, that it, I, I would assume that that's the route that they're taking. Yeah. It's obviously still speculation until it's actually confirmed that that's the Yeah, because what we know about Nebraska football, if nothing, nothing else, is ever easy. nothing's ever easy and nothing just happens the way it's supposed to happen. So, yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I like, if you're prioritizing uh, never kicking field goals and only scoring touchdowns and prioritizing getting interceptions and sacks every single time the defense is on the field, like, you don't have to use special teams, and then it's not that big of a deal. It's true. So if the other things are working – better special teams isn't as big of a deal like when your margin of error is is as razor thin as it was for nebraska last season crappy special teams can be a backbreaker but when you've got an lsu like offense or an alabama like defense it's probably not a great example they weren't great this year um injuries but you you get my point yeah i got you special teams isn't as big yeah so i mean and none of this like these discussions only happen when the results aren't good yeah, like, like it's win. always the thing. If they win eight or nine games next year, no, well, then these guys will be geniuses. But like, there won't be so much discussion. We will not be talking about graduate assistant special teams guys. No, <laughs> like, if they're eight and four and special teams is still like one hundred twenty seventh or whatever it is in S and P, it's awful in S and P. If it's still at that low, like it'll be a sigh, a footnote yeah. to the season, and it'll be like, well, Nebraska could have won ten games if special teams was better, or nine games. But really, I mean. We need to get to a point where we're like, hey, ten games is better than eight games. Yes, you definitely. Like you gotta get you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get crawl to before first. you can yes. walk first. Yes. I mean They crawled this year, one, five versus four. That's like a that's like a hot magma moving down a volcano. I like I tried. I actually used I, I used viscous in a story. Oh, God. <laughs> Viscous-like crawl of offers was a phrase that I used in a story. Wow. It's going in the magazine. Okay. I was very happy with this. Viscous-like crawl of offers. I was, I was in my bag. <laughs> I see that. I see that. <laughs> the opening was fantastic, I thought. I need to send it to you so that you can read it. I meant okay. to send it to you so you can read it's it. It's funny because I meant to send you mine and totally forgot. Oh, yeah, you funny. finished up your Turner piece. Not I to did. Side note, but <laughs> did you have fun writing that? I did. It was a lot of fun. Um. I'm excited for people to see it uh, because, like, 
it, it took a little bit different term than I thought it would, um, but their family is really good, and like it's a really interesting look at what it's kind of like for a family going through that recruiting process and some of it. Yeah, it'll be, I'm, I'm excited for it. Subscribe to the magazine. You can get it. Craig has a feature on Turner Corcoran. Subscribe to LVRC.com. I'll put a link on the description of the podcast. Hey everyone, I just want to pause real fast uh, to give you a little bit of, I guess, heads up on the second half of this podcast. So normally how these things work is we'll record on a Thursday um, I like to record on Thursdays if the guest schedule requires it earlier, we'll do it earlier, but normally I like to do Thursday with this week being different, um, us expecting some news, maybe on uh, coaching changes, coaching staff, whatnot. Um, I wanted to put off recording this as long as possible. So like you heard in the beginning, uh, Greg and I sat down to record this around 10 o'clock, 1030 ish, 11 o'clock, uh, Friday morning. Obviously, before the news that Troy Walters was out as uh, Nebraska's offensive coordinator and well before the news that Matt Libick was coming to replace Troy Walters as Nebraska's offensive coordinator, wide receiver coach. So um, the second half of this was recorded. We came back and and re-recorded the second half of this after uh, the Walters news came out, but still before the Lubbock news came out. So the second half of this is really just uh, some thoughts on Nebraska kind of choosing to go in a different direction and, and what we'll remember most from um, the Troy Walters. And, and we'll we'll save um, some of the Matt Lubbock talk for uh, the, the week ahead, and we'll talk about it a little bit on next week's podcast. But just wanted to give a heads up that there's it happened, but it happened after we recorded the second half of this. Um, and I didn't want to ask Greg to come back and, and re-record for a third time. So um, that being said, let's get back to it. Okay, the last thing we need to talk about here is the biggest thing. Save the best for last. Troy Walters is out as Nebraska's offensive coordinator. This thing is multi-layered and wide receiver coach, I should say. Yes. Offensive coordinator and wide receiver coach. So you can, um, I think you can make an argument that it was more wide receiver coach than offensive coordinator, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, this thing is multi-layered. There are a lot of different storylines kind of interwoven between um, Walters and Frost and the names that have come out. We reported that Mickey Joseph had been offered the job and had turned the job down. Um, the Athletic also reported the same thing. There was conflicting reports that that didn't actually happen. I don't want to get into that, but I do want to get into just the the idea of Mickey Joseph. If it was on the table, we don't. If it was on the table, um, which, like I said, we believe it was, what that means. Um, because that is a storyline in and of itself. He doesn't have a Nebraska tie except for he played here, but he doesn't have a tie to Frost and this staff, and he didn't play with Frost, and Frost doesn't know him personally, but Nebraska swung for the fences and and went after probably one of the best wide receiver coaches on the market and somebody who's probably with kind of the mass exodus out of Baton Rouge going to get a a good pay raise from LSU and probably a a promotion from LSU to maybe be an offensive coordinator or something like that. Um, So there's that side of it. The other side of it is a week ago, or however many days ago it was, Nebraska promoted Greg Austin to run game coordinator while Walters was still on staff. Um, that's another piece. Was, was, was that setting the table for this move? Was that a hope that um, Troy and Austin would split duties? That's something to get into. Um, and, then, and then there's just, what do you think of Walters' time 
here and, and the job that he did at Nebraska. So there's a bunch of different things we could talk about. Where do you want to start? Let's start with where, where you started um, with the Mickey Joseph piece of this, just him, okay. right? Um, I, I really like the idea of Frost, Nebraska, going after Mickey Joseph. Um, I, I think that it is – it signals to me that they recognized a, a need – to go out and get the best available option, available in air quotes, everyone, everyone is technically available in my mind um, if they get, if they really want to leave or if they want that extra money or that extra title. So the I, best option from the dude that's most available. Yeah, there we go. I can, we could say it that way. Um, and so I like that. I like that uh, because I think that Nebraska is a program that should operate like that. Other programs that have the status of Nebraska – operate that way like your favorite school texas when they have sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry but texas let's look at what they're doing right now when they have openings and they've had a lot of staff openings here over the last couple of years um weirdly since tom herman took over like they just go after guys like michigan does the same thing um because they seem to always have guys being poached from them alabama when they have guys move on to bigger jobs they kind of try and take who they want right like that's what nebraska should try and do like they weren't successful at least to this point um in trying to do that but i think that that's a good thing that they should try and do plus i personally really like the idea of going after an ace recruiter for that spot i i, I thought it was a little odd that for probably a cycle and a half um nebraska had a tough time getting like top flight receivers on campus like if you before the end of last cycle when Darian Chase and Demarion Houston kind of came on the radar they had Jamie Nance who I like and I think he's a good player but like besides him they weren't there was not a lot of big interest even if you remember coming into the 2020 cycle remember they had some really good receivers that came on campus during spring ball last spring um guys like Musha Muhammad um the second I don't think he's actually junior I think he's the second who now went to Texas A&M uh Josh Downs wide receiver who went to North Carolina to play with Mac play for Mac Brown who was killing it down in San Antonio a couple of weeks ago um in the U.S. Army All-American game so like they like could identify those guys, but they were having a tough time. Now, we know in the end of the 2020 cycle, they turn that around. They end up getting Omar Manning. They get Marcus Fleming. They get Xavier Betts, Elante Brown, and Will Nixon to completely overhaul their wide receiver room. But that was a struggle for a while. And so I like that they went after kind of an ace recruiter. Mickey Joseph is definitely that. He brought all those dudes that you saw running around for the national championship game. He brought those guys there. The thing that I found interesting when kind of looking at Mickey Joseph's um, kind of recruiting, I mean, he's been in the state of Louisiana since 2014 coaching. He clearly has ties in that area. Mm -hmm. So if you had added him to the staff, you would have already had a guy um, on staff who, who has ties in Georgia, in Florida. Yeah, um, if you're going into Alabama a little bit more. You'd get into that LSU, maybe that Mississippi range. Mm -hmm. Um, you really starting to prioritize that southern region, that southern hotbed where most of the kids are coming from. Mm -hmm. um, that would have been a, a, a pretty big deal, I think. Do you think that that is something that they want to prioritize on the recruiting trail more? Is that little that southeast pocket of the country where it seems 
elite talent is just kind of bleeding all over the place down there? Or, or do you think maybe getting something like, um, let's say somebody in the southwest to maybe help with Tuyodian recruiting, do you think they want to prioritize maybe like Texas or like is or or is that even in in the conversation when you're talking about a wide receiver coach or a co-offensive coordinator or something like what do you think should be the priority right now? I think it I think it should be if it was not going to be a Mickey Joseph where you could really and I really like the picture of that kind of southeast trying to takeovers too strong but really trying to make a mark down there I like that idea Um, I personally would either try and have someone that has more Texas ties or can be in the the southwest to help out with Tuioti in Verduzco out there because Verduzco has Arizona um, because Arizona is so strong California is there for the taking right now, especially with USC being so down, um, and will continue to be just that way. Like wind. just completely floundering. Did you see the graphic? And I don't, I can't remember if this was actually at the All American game. Yeah, the top five it was kids somewhere. that are leaving this. Yeah, state. yeah, and then if you if you expand that, I think it's the top eleven or something like that. it's something crazy um, where they're all leaving the state. Like they're not. It's not like USC is losing them to UCLA. Like they're well, they lost leaving. Jaden Daniels to Arizona State. They did. Yeah. <laughs> the kid also, Bryce Young, the kid that w- was playing really well in that game, is going to probably be Alabama's starting quarterback next year. Um, there was one more quarterback, too, from there that is not going to USC. So I think that that would be, that'd be interesting. But I actually think, I think Texas, if I'd narrow it down, would be the spot that I would really look to get more into if I'm Nebraska because there is so much talent in Texas into kind of, I don't want to say Nebraska ignores it because I think that Greg Austin um, recruits the state. It's a lot for one guy. Um, I think that they should try and do more in Texas moving forward. The interesting thing that uh, we should have brought up earlier, talked a little bit more on, was um, Mike Dawson being back Mm. for them to recruit kind of the Northeast area because that's still – kind of for the taking because Syracuse isn't any good and Rutgers isn't anything to yeah. write home about yet. So um, I say yet. I like Greg Shiano. I do like they him also, as a coach. They, I do think that he's going to – I mean, he just kind of gets stuff done mm-hmm. where he goes. Like, I, I agree with that. And I feel like, like people are going to respond to his energy, yeah. especially up there. I agree. That, not to completely derail. Um, what do you think is most important for this position? Because like we said earlier, like – when Nebraska brought in Dawson, at the time, that was number 10. They were filled. Now, they've got another spot. So what do you think is is most important for them to prioritize with, with this? Is it somebody that can come in and, and be um, a passing game coordinator, so to speak? Somebody that, that has a real hands-on approach with maybe not necessarily calling plays, but setting the game plan in that regard? Or is it somebody that really comes in and says, my role here is to develop our wide receivers? I want a guy that's developing those wide receivers. Like, I think that's, uh, to me, there's it's a no-brainer. Absolutely, that has to be priority one because you, it, it's going to be hard to make a living at Nebraska bringing in – the Xavier Betts and Omar Mannings of the world, right? I because you it, say that, but they brought. But Mondale then they brought the yeah. They, they, I do say that, and then Marcus Fleming as well. So like maybe maybe I'm wrong, but if I'm if I'm not, you can also have the J D Spielmans of the world, who's prolific, right? Um, 
but he has been developed even though it, like it's odd to kind of go through his like development arc to see like who's been coaching him and like what he's been through while he's been here um because it's it's just been a lot um but i think that if you can if you have a guy that can find that type of talent but can also recruit those four-star guys but also develop once they get here i think that that is the way that i would prefer to go so that kind of leads into um the last the 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 bigger picture thing that i want to talk about with walters like how do you what what are you going to remember about these two years with him he was a Broyles award award finalist two years ago at ucf and he was the guy that um was was at least being talked about or maybe um thought about to replace frost at ucf Mm -hmm. before josh heupel got the job he comes here and there was a lot of excitement over him he was a blitnikoff winning wide receiver Mm -hmm. um he played I mean, he played for a while. Like, he was he was not a bad wide receiver. No. He comes here, and everybody's excited. And it just, like, what what is going to be your lasting impression of, of these two years? Unfortunately, Walters, for me, will go down as a, like, a, a dis, the offensive disappointment version of what happened with Bob Diaco um, in that there was so much excitement when he was brought in and – I'm just confused. I'm even more confused as to why it didn't work with Troy Walters than I am with Diaco. And maybe that's because I feel like Diaco talked more, therefore talked himself into us figuring out why it didn't work for him. Um, There was no reasonable reason. Yeah, there was no reasonable reason to expect why they could have played better. Um, That's a a loose quote. I think I quote that to you every single time you bring up Bob Diaco. Probably. It's solid. It's a solid. I think that is something that I say. But it's just. I will always just probably be confused as to why it didn't work better with Troy Walters because all the things that you laid out are accurate and true. Uh, he was very well thought of coming in here as a Broyles Award finalist, Belenikoff winner. He's well respected and liked. It's not as if you're not going to find somebody that says something bad about him. Um, it w- it'll just be confusing. I'll just and and the other thing along with that is I'll always be kind of confused as to why guys didn't develop more while he was here or why guys couldn't get on the field. And that's something we talked about a lot during the course of last season. Um, but we talk a lot about, like, the Nance-Houston Chase group and, what, like, they weren't getting on the field and what happened to them. But then you also have Woodyard and Mike Williams. So, like, what, that's five guys. Did you see the move Mike like, Williams I did put see on that, that dude? Like, what happened to them? And, and then, so, like, why didn't he do that at Nebraska? So, yeah, that was my first thought. Was like, I, where was that in Nebraska? Like, that route running is, like, exactly what they needed for some dude to get open. And I saw Mike Williams retweeted, like, he didn't get a chance. At, like, somebody said, some fans said he didn't get a chance in Nebraska. And Williams retweeted. I was like, what? Like, what? Where, where's the disconnect here? What is the... And, Something that I've always, and I do not know this for sure, the thing that my leading theory on that has always been that they were asking the wide receivers to do too much, to be too good at everything versus finding a path to the field to get them comfortable and then building them up from there. That's always my theory because I don't know what else makes sense. Um, so I would love to actually really figure that out and see if I can. Um, but I'll never understand why those guys, that was five guys we named that, couldn't see the field, and that's before we forgot Javon McCoy. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, he was like, sick. So, like the first name that came out of everybody's mouth when he got here was like, "Oh, he's going oh, to resurrect Javon that guy. McCoy." Yeah, like look yeah. at this dude. Look at this talent that Nebraska has that just couldn't really make it work with Mike Riley or, or Keith Williams, and now here is Troy Walters, and he's going to make things work with McQuitty. And he talked about McQuitty in the off season, and the yeah. dude, the kid never played. He never showed up. And, and the thing is, he, he, like 
when McQuitty, when Keith Williams had McQuitty, like I'll give them a little bit of a pass on that because of the injuries, um, because he was injured coming in. He when he got here, he was hurt um, and it had a setback that way. Then he gets back and then gets hurt again. Mm-hmm. So like I get that, um, but ex- and also considering he was the type of receiver that they needed in this offense, yeah, he was a six foot, like he was the guy that was brought to be the like the guy after Stanley yep, Moore. He was because he was the same kind of profile, and I don't like to bring up salaries because I'm not trying to count people's money, but this is where the, this is relevant. Troy Walters was getting paid, what, $700,000? Once you get your responsibilities cut in half and you're not already calling plays, it's really hard to justify a $700,000 wide receiver coach. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just the uh, <laughs> the truth of it. When and your so, recruiting coordinator and running back coach is only making – Four hundred. Yeah, and he just got a what? And he a just bump got a, to a that. Yeah. Race. yeah. Um, so it's just, so that's tough. That it would have been it would have been different if say Walters was bumped to he was going to be the recruiting coordinator and or those wide receivers were playing really well. Um, but it also maybe as we talk it out, it, was there a, a possibly a philosophy disconnect? between Frost and Walters on wide receiver development. Like, I just don't, like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I, I publicly, we're never going to get <laughs> the true answer. Um, but it really just leaves you baffled as to how this all happened. Because on paper, you would think that Walters would get these guys ready to go. Because Frost did coach wide receivers at Oregon. Yeah. So I wonder. It's a background. I, huh? that's, I, I'd never thought about that. That's a good thing to maybe think about. If there were maybe too many cooks in the, in the kitchen and you had contrasting styles mm-hmm. or philosophies on what they wanted wide receivers to do, that's a good point. I never, never thought about that. Because yeah. I also because along those lines, as you're saying that, I wonder if like if Frost is tries to be more involved there than he does with say quarterbacks, even though he's a former quarterback and he has Verduzco who he absolutely has trust in. Like I would be curious just to what that dynamic is like with all of that. Oh, boy. What a day. Greg, thank you for coming back and being on the podcast and, and indulging my stupid uh, wedding story in the beginning. I want a wedding story every week. <laughs> well, we're getting close. We might have one <laughs> yes, every week. Good. We you. might have one every week. Um, we will be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, keep reading com. Like I said earlier, Greg Smith has a wonderful, I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to assume that it's wonderful, as is most things that you do, wonderful feature on Turner Corcoran that's coming up in the upcoming edition of Hail Varsity, the magazine. So subscribe to the magazine. Keep reading HailVarsity.com. We'll have coverage on basketball throughout the weekend. Jacob Padilla will keep you up to date on that. Men's basketball plays Saturday. Women's basketball Sunday. And uh, we will be back next week. Hopefully I won't have a runny nose because I had a terrible voice last week, and I promised that... Things will be better this week than they were. Incrementally. So we're getting there day by day. Day by day. Talk to you guys next week.